The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Uh, welcome to Missio Day. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're wondering what's going on, I have been away for the last four weeks. Uh, yeah, and uh, so you're welcome. I'm back. Um, I, I just I do want to say, you know, the last year and a half for all of us was a lot. And um, particularly, I don't want to say, oh, it's worse for us in ministry, but it, it's been a heavy load. And um, this year was supposed to be a, a full sabbatical year for me. Uh, and I just knew there was no way it was going to happen. Uh, and so the elders were like, look, at least take a few extra, a couple extra weeks. Um, and I'm grateful that they love me enough to say, you need a break. Um, so it was a great time, really, really restful and restorative for my soul. Uh, and on behalf of my whole family, I just want to say to you, thank you for that gift of a break. But I am excited to be back and I am ready uh, to charge ahead and to plow forward for the sake of Jesus uh, and to open the scriptures with you this morning. So uh, if you have a Bible, please open to Psalm 23. If you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles in the pew rack. Uh, I guess we call it that, the chair rack. I don't know. In the chair, you'll see it, paperback one. Uh, you can open one of those, and, um, and that's where we're going to be this morning. This week and maybe next week are kind of going to be what I learned on summer vacation. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I read a ton, and... Um, I read this passage a lot, and I feel like the Lord met me there, and I want to share some of those gleanings with you this morning. And then uh, either next week or the week after, we'll jump back into the book of Acts, uh, which we've been kind of walking through for a while now. So uh, that's what we'll be doing. Here's the thing. Psalm 23 is probably the most familiar passage of Scripture uh, in the Bible, outside of maybe John 3.16. Like, even unbelievers know this. Coolio mentioned a verse from Psalm 23. Uh, so it's popular, right? People know it. And there's a danger with familiarity. It's been said familiarity breeds contempt. And it's not that we have contempt for the passage, it's that we think we know it because we've heard it so many times. But here's the reality. As much as, I've, as, much as we know about this passage, I've actually heard very little preaching and teaching on Psalm 23. Maybe it's different for you, but I, I haven't experienced that much teaching. And so my prayer for us this morning is that the words of Psalm 23 would, would leap off the page for you in a way like they haven't before. That you would hear the truths of this passage with a stunning new clarity. And that this text would lift us all to a sense of amazement and, and, and joy and confidence that you belong to Jesus. And if you don't belong to Jesus this morning, my, my prayer is that through the God using Psalm 23, that you would be compelled to surrender your life to him today. All right? So uh, I'm going to read the entire passage. It's only six verses. Uh, then I'll pray for us and we'll dive in and see what the Lord has for us here. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness 
for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful for this people. I'm grateful for this church family uh, who I love so much. I'm grateful for their love for me and for the opportunity to step away for a short season to rest and refuel, but I am so, so grateful to be back. I thank you for uh, the heavy lifting that so many did during uh, this time away. And, and Lord, as we gather this morning, I know that so many of us in this room are coming from exhaustion, coming from anxiety, coming from uh, disruption and discord, coming from all kinds of pain, lethargy, dullness. And so I pray that you would meet us here this morning by your word and your spirit, that you would minister to each of our souls, giving us exactly what each of us need. That there would be no one who leaves this room this morning without saying, I've heard from Jesus. That's what we all need. We need to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me as I uh, open up this passage. May you help us to understand deeply, not just what it means, but that we would see the glory of Jesus in Psalm 23. So we ask for your help in the name of Christ. In his good name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, I want to make uh, just a quick overview of the passage before we dive into it. Uh, and then we'll make a couple observations. So part of the time that I was away, uh, I got contacted by a, a ministry that has a house down on Lake Wiley uh, outside of the Charlotte area. And it's called Quiet Waters Retreat. And so uh, they contacted me and they said, hey, we have this place. It's available if you uh, or your, you and your spouse want to use it or you know, leadership teams and stuff like that. And uh, I said, well, that's perfect. Do you have next week open? And they said, we just had a cancellation. It's all yours. 7,000 square foot house <laughs> by yourself. Uh, it was amazing. So my wife went for a few days by herself. I stayed with the kids and then we switched, and uh, I was there for a few days. And because it's called Quiet Waters, which is uh, part of the translation uh, of Psalm 23, I thought, you know what? I'm going to open Psalm 23. I'm going to read it. And so I read it uh, many, many times, many, many times. And uh, it, it, to be in a place where it's silent, on a lake, beside still waters, uh, and, and to have the Lord meet, meet me was, was just a gift. And so I want to share some of those uh, things that I learned from you, uh, with you. Um, man, I haven't done this in a while. I'm stumbling over my words. Now, we talk a lot here at Missio Day about biblical community. In fact, you're going to hear an announcement about that a little bit later. It's incredibly important, right? We need one another in our lives. We need brothers and sisters to walk alongside of us through all the many ups and downs of this, light, of this life. We talk about it all the time. 
But if you'll notice, in these six verses of Psalm 23, community is not in this psalm. The words I, me, my occur 17 times in these six verses. And it's in the Bible. Psalm 23 is in the Bible because at the end of the day, your faith and mine must be personal. Must be personal. Everyone is going to have moments in our lives where we are all alone. For some of you, uh, if you haven't had this experience already, you will. You're going to be wheeled into an operating room. And though you might have been surrounded by friends and family in, the, in pre-op, when you roll into that hospital room, you are all alone. For some of you, you've experienced relational uh, uh, breakups, discord, right? You, severed relationships, and you feel, you might be surrounded by friends and family, but in that moment, you feel all alone. Every single one of us is going to take a final breath. And in that moment between earth and eternity, you are going to need Jesus personally. And let us not wait until that final breath to realize that we need him every hour. Every hour. But if Yahweh, and that's, if you look at the text here, in verse 1 where it says LORD in all caps, do you see that? My Bible has a, has a little mark next to it, and it reminds me that that's the covenant personal name of God. I am who I am. When Moses saw the, the fire in the bush that wasn't being consumed, and he heard the voice of God, who, he said, who are you, and what did God say? I am who I am. It's his personal, intimate, covenant name. And, and that's the word used here. And if Yahweh, if I am who I am, is your shepherd... He will never leave you or forsake you. Because Jesus experienced the forsakenness of God for you. Now, second thing I want you to see here really quickly is how the metaphors shift. Notice, uh, in, in the first four verses, the Lord is our shepherd, or my shepherd, and we are his sheep. But then when we get to verse 5, the metaphor shifts. The Lord is now our host, and we are his guests. Then when we get to verse 6, the metaphors kind of fall away. And what we see is that the Lord is God, and we are his worshipers. And the location is not uh, a tent or a house. It's actually the Lord's temple, where, where sinful worshipers are welcomed in by the blood of a sacrificial lamb. And so, in other words, you could say it like this, that in these first four verses, it's good to be, it's good to be a sheep, right? It's good for the, for, uh, 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 to be the Lord's sheep is good for us, right? To be his guest is even better. But to be in the presence of God forever is best of all. And Jesus is offering himself personally to every single one of you today. So let's, let's use those three, uh, or those two metaphors and the reality to sort of shape uh, the message here. In the first four verses, if you're a note taker, you can write this down. The Lord is my good shepherd. The Lord is my good shepherd. Let me reread these first four verses for us real quick. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the Lord is my shepherd is almost like a heading over these first four verses. And the rest of these four verses explain or describe how the shepherd cares for us, his sheep. And so he says, as a result of the Lord being my shepherd, I shall not want. Some of your translations say, I lack nothing or I have everything I need. Now, it doesn't say that I don't desire. Some of us, when we read, I shall not want, is like, oh, it's wrong to want something. He's not talking about desire. We all have desires, and, and some desires are given to us by God, and they're good, and they're right. What he's saying here is, you lack no good thing. Everything that you need in your life is provided to you by God, your good shepherd. So life can be crazy. Life can be really, really hard at times but we don't need to be anxious. Why? Because Jesus takes responsibility for me. He's committed to me. He provides for me everything that I need. Now, let's let's be honest. I know we're in church, but let's be honest for just a minute. That's hard, isn't it? (laughs) To say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Because if there's one thing I don't lack, it's lack. I lack all kinds of stuff. I'm just a walking mess of inadequacy. And as I've had this break and I'm, I'm thinking about the future, I think about my kids growing up. I got about, I'm about to have two in the teen years. Pray for us, if you would. Then we got cars and we got college. And, and uh, I'm thinking about the church and you know, we, we've, we've gained some very, very good people over this season, and I'm so thankful. There's some of you I don't even, haven't met yet, and I'm, I'm excited to get to know you. Um, and, and we've lost some good people. And, and as we've been making announcements for different serve teams, I know that we have need uh, in terms of servant leaders for all kinds of different ministry areas. And, you know, the, the rise of this Delta variant and what that's going to do for our community and how we navigate that as a church. And there's all this anxiety that starts to build up because there's lack, right? There's There's need. Uh, There's stuff I don't have. However, psychologists call this a scarcity mindset. Some of you might be familiar with this. Uh, A scarcity mindset, when you function in a scarcity mindset, all you can see are the problems. All you can see is what you don't have to face the future. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are wired that way? Right? Some of you, all you can see is what isn't, what I don't have, what, 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 what we're lacking, what we need. Here's, here's how people with a scarcity mindset might, might read Psalm 23. This is actually called the anti-Psalm. It comes from David Powlison, who's a Christian uh, counselor, author, pastor. And, and I, it's not going to be on the screen, so maybe just close your eyes and, and listen to how the anti-psalm is described and whether that resonates with you. Here's how it starts. I'm on my own. 
No one looks out for me or protects me. I am continually in need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's like a jungle, and I feel overwhelmed. It's like a desert, and I'm parched. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck, but I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. Still, I insist, I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. But life is confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I'm often fearful of what's coming next. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really my friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me except me. And I'm so much all about me that sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I be alone forever? Amen. Now, for some of you, that describes your life to a T. And Pallison rightly calls it the anti-psalm. Because it's the choice to live out of a scarcity mindset and not trust your good shepherd who has everything that you need. Here's the thing with the scarcity mindset. Psychologists will tell you that living out of a scarcity mindset, what I don't have, what I, what I lack, what I need, is actually counterproductive to life. It actually... Uh, it does some stuff to your brain. If you've ever pulled an all-nighter, like back in college, uh, or for a big project, or just playing video games all night, and the next day, you're kind of in a fog, and you don't really make good decisions, you know? You're like, Cheetos make a great breakfast. This is fine. That's what scarcity mindset does to you, because you get so tunnel-visioned on what you don't have that your impulse control goes down, you start making poorer and poorer decisions, and your behaviors are actually counterproductive to what you need. Psalm 23 gives us an abundance mindset. Now, this is not some prosperity gospel garbage. This is the reality that he who owns the cattle on a thousand hills is your shepherd and your savior who gave his own life for you. And even now, he provides for every single need that you have out of his plenty. John 1 puts it this way. From his fullness, we have grace upon grace. Isn't that good news? From his fullness, we have grace upon grace. In a little while, we're going we're to sing, Great is thy faithfulness. And my favorite line, All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Jesus is my good shepherd. Jesus is your good shepherd. And he is more than enough for everything that I need forever. And so we have to, we have to teach ourselves how to start living from a, a, an abundance mindset. Thinking, starting our thinking from the fullness to us in Christ. And not from lack. Even in valleys. Look at verse 4 again. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Class? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shadow of death can be also translated as deep, deep, deep darkness. And we don't fear because our good shepherd is with us. Shadows loom large, don't they? Shadows are disproportionate often from the actual object. And we, when we go through a valley, we start focusing on the shadows because they're huge and, and, and they're, they're all consuming. And we think, oh my gosh, look at the shadow. And when we take our, when we put our eyes on the shadow, guess who we're not looking at? The shepherd. Even in valleys, we must trust that he will provide for us. He will protect us and he will lead us through. So many of us want to go around valleys and that's just not how growth in Christ works. He is a deliverer, but more than he delivers us from things, he delivers us in things. But it requires that we spend time time with our shepherd that we actually follow him and we know we've lost our way when we stop feeling grateful when we start feeling overlooked uncared for when we stop feeling loved by God or or when we say if I have the Lord and peace in my house, if I have the Lord and a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a spouse, if I have the Lord and financial security, if I have the Lord and good health, if I have the Lord and, 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 then, then I shall not want. But you can't do that. I mean, we all do it all the time, let's be honest, but but when we say, if I have the Lord and this other thing, what we're really saying is that thing is my real shepherd. That circumstance, that thing is the, is the real shepherd that comforts me. It's not the Lord himself. So listen, every one of us in this room, we have shepherds. Some of you think, I don't have a shepherd. I lead my own self. Fool. You're being led by someone. Or something. But listen, folks, there is only one shepherd who can restore your soul. So we got to let go of all the other shepherds that we cling to, that we think are going to provide for us the rest that our soul needs so that we can cling to Jesus alone. Who is your true shepherd this morning? Now, we see another metaphor here. Look at verse 5 again. You guys with me? Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. If you're a note taker, you could say this. The Lord is my generous host. So not only is he our good shepherd, he's our generous host. This metaphor shifts. Now the Lord goes from being good shepherd, generous host, and we are his welcomed guests. It's interesting, in ancient cultures, um, many ancient cultures had this practice that when you would see a traveler on the horizon, you would begin to prepare a meal. 
so that you could welcome them and offer hospitality to them. And in fact, even today, in Bedouin cultures, uh, which are essentially camel farmers who are sort of nomadic, they go throughout the Negev and some desert areas, they have an honor code. And as part of their honor code, uh, they must provide shelter and food to anyone who has need, even their own enemies. So picture it. Here's a foreigner, perhaps a fugitive on the run from pursuing enemies, and he comes across an encampment, and they take him in. He's anointed with oil, which is a, a symbol of hospitality and welcome to weary travelers. The table is prepared. Uh, food is provided, a feast of food and wine given generously until you've had your fill. All in the presence of your enemies. In other words, their opposition cannot hinder his support. It reminds me of, um, of the beginning of Psalm 46. Uh, it says, God is our refuge and strength in a very present help in times of trouble. How many of you have trouble today? <laughs> you will have trouble. Jesus had all kinds of enemies, and if you belong to Jesus, you will have enemies also. And let me tell you something. The darker this world gets, the brighter your light is going to shine, and the more that some are going to hate the light that's within you. They will not understand your otherworldly joy. They will not understand the way that you live out of sacrificial love for others. They will not understand your confidence in God. And some of them will resent it. But the Lord is reminding you and me this morning that when everyone else casts you out, he will take you in. And we also have an enemy who the scripture says prowls around like a roaring lion looking for those whom he may devour. And our enemy will use others against us at times. But our enemy will also use our own weaknesses against us, won't he? He will use deficiencies in our character. He will use our choices. He will use our attitudes. He will use the things we choose to listen to or not listen to against us, all in an attempt to make you feel unloved by God. I do want to show a hands for this one. How many of you have ever felt unloved by God? Come on. I have. Okay, keep those hands up for a second. Any of you in here this morning who feel unloved by God, look around. You're not alone. Others have felt that way too. Okay? There have been times in my life where I feel like the call to ministry was the Lord's punishment against me. <laughs> He's like, all right, I'm going to make you a pastor and you're going to suffer. All right? I, I have been hurt. I've been betrayed. I've been abandoned. And that's just my family, not just the church, not this family. Uh, I, right? We've all experienced pain like that. And there are times when it's just an onslaught and you feel like, God, if you really cared for me, why, why would you let me continue to suffer through all this junk? 
When will it relent? Some of you have been dealing with that even now. Uh, relational discord, where there are people in your family or, or people you are very close to who just don't get along. They've betrayed you. They've hurt you. And you feel all alone. Some of you, you're dealing with mental illness. There's a darkness that just will not lift. And you're like, God hates me. Or he would lift this darkness from me. Some of you are in financial despair. And it's easy for us to start believing that God does not love you, that he has abandoned you, that he is not with you, that he has forsaken you. But here's the reality. I have felt that way in my life. Right now, I do not feel that way. And I don't know how I got from there to here. I did not preach my way out of it. I did not theologize my way out of it. I did not read a book. It's the, I, if any of you do this, please repent of it. When people share their deepest, darkest hurts with you and you go, you should read this book. Stop doing that. It's not helpful. It's not. They need empathy and compassion, not 500 words to read or 500 pages. Like It's helpful in a season, but it's not in the moment. Do you hear me? But I did not bring myself from the darkness to the light. I did not bring myself from hurt and pain and feeling abandoned to feeling loved by God. You know who did it? Jesus did it. He took me in. And he'll take you in. If you in this moment are feeling forsaken and abandoned by God, it's because the enemy has pulled a chair up to your table. And he's whispering things to you. This is a table prepared for you by the Lord. And the enemy's pulled his chair up, and he's eating the food off your table. You know those commercials? I don't know if it's Allstate or what, like the, the mayhem guy, right? That's the enemy. And he's just like kicking stuff over, and he's like, hey, I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to eat all your food, and I'm going to tell you that God doesn't love you. And you believe it. And I have too. But who prepared the table? Jesus is welcoming you back to sanity today. Let him take you in and prepare a table for you in the presence of all of your enemies. Now, you guys still hanging in? Okay, we get to the reality the metaphors start to fade away, and now we get to the reality. Look with me at this last verse, verse 6. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So not only is the Lord our good shepherd, not only is he our generous host, but the Lord is our gracious God. We're brought into reality. This is by his doing, not by ours. By his work, not by mine, I have relationship with Jesus for the rest of my days on this earth and a promise of eternity with him forever. That's some good news right there, isn't it? One scholar put it this way. He said, verse 6 is an Old Testament way of saying 
nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to him, not only can you not wander off like a stupid sheep, you cannot be driven away into oblivion by enemies because you're his. His goodness, his mercy will follow you. Now, this word follow is very interesting because it doesn't mean that it will try to catch up with you. This word follow actually means to pursue, to chase you down. Aren't you glad Jesus is faster than you are? (laughs) Jesus can outrun any one of you any day of the week. And what does he outrun us with? What does he chase us down with? Goodness and mercy. Some of us have this, this idea of God in our minds who when we screw up, when we disbelieve, when we sin, when we fall, when we fail, that he will chase us down with a scowl and a paddle. But that's not what the Bible says. For those who belong to him, he chases you down with goodness and mercy. Now, sometimes it's a severe mercy. Sometimes it's goodness with a sting. But he chases us down with goodness and mercy. Um, You've heard me say this before. The word mercy is the Hebrew word uh, hesed, which is also translated as steadfast love and faithfulness. Um. And so here's what that means. It's not just the way he feels about you. It's not just an emotional state. Steadfast love and faithfulness is love that's put into action. So Jesus talks about uh, the the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. That's his said. That's, okay, these are safe and secure, but I have one who who I love, who, who who I care about, who is wandering and I'm going after. Steadfast love and faithfulness. We are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. Some of it's rebellion, just not wanting to submit to God's leadership in our lives. Some of it's just foolishness, right? Making stupid decisions. And all of it is because we stop paying attention to our good shepherd. But he does not wait for us to come find him. He goes out and finds us. And he brings us back again and again and again and again and again and even again until there is no impulse left in us to want to run. Now listen, I'm going to be real, real honest. Some of you have been running from the Lord. Many of you have been drifting. And I'm just going to ask you, where are you going? Well, God asked Adam that in the garden after they sinned. Where are you? And it wasn't that he didn't know where he was. He was getting Adam to wake up and realize, oh no, right? Where are you? Where are you going? Where is there to go but to the Lord? So so I want you to see in Psalm 23, the heart of God for you. 
demonstrated most clearly at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 10, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. And he did that. He took our sin, which is our desire to be our own authority. He took our failures. He took our pride. He took our obliviousness to the grace and mercy of God in our lives. He took all of our sin and shame and guilt on himself. And he was led to the slaughter, sacrificing his life so that we could have, as he says in John 10, life and life abundant. And three days later, he who laid down his life took it back up again. Conquering our real enemies of sin, death, and hell. So that all who trusted in, all who would, who would surrender themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ could be assured of goodness and mercy all of our days and the promise of his presence forever in eternity. And so in John 10, he also says, my sheep hear my voice. And I wonder what your shepherd is saying to you this morning. What is he speaking to you? I have a sense that for some of you, he's saying, come back to me. Come back. Let me care for you. Let me provide for you. Let me protect you. Let me show you my steadfast love and faithfulness. Won't you come back to him today? For some of you, maybe you're, you're going to come for the first time. You're going to say, you know what? I've never trusted in the shepherd. But I'm, I'm tired of doing life my way. It's not working. And I want to surrender to the shepherd this morning. I want to be led and made and provided for and cared for. So listen, here's what we're going to do. I have, uh, I have a few questions to put up on the screen for us. You can write these down. You can take a picture when they're all up. Uh, then I'm going to pray for us. Uh, you have communion elements in your seats there. Um, and then the, So I'll lead you into that, and then the band's going to come up and lead us in some songs. Here's the first question. Mm. We don't have the questions. Cool. I wrote them down and then gave them to them, so I don't have them. So could somebody give me that sticky note? Who's the next contestant on the... Oh, wait. That's a whole different thing. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. First question is this. So they're not going to be on the screen, so listen carefully. Who is my true shepherd? Be honest with your own heart. Who is my true shepherd? Can I say with confidence, it's Jesus? Or is it Jesus and? Because if it's Jesus and, it's not really Jesus. Who is my true shepherd? Second question is this. How do I typically operate? From my lack or from the Lord's fullness? How do I typically operate from the lack that I have, from my inadequacy, or from the abundance and fullness of the Lord? And why? Why do I operate that way? Okay, third question. Where do I run when I feel let down and unloved? 
What's my refuge? Where do I run when I feel unloved and let down? Where do I go? And then finally, as you think about, this is not the question, I'm just going to set it up. As you think about Jesus, who was, is the good shepherd, who also became the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, laid his life down for you, what is the good shepherd saying to you today? It's the last question. What is the good shepherd saying to you today? As you've heard this sermon, as you've looked at his word, what is the good shepherd saying to you today? If you didn't get them all, you can look on with a neighbor or you can come up to me after the service and I'll give you uh, the questions. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. Um, and as I do that, I want you to pray for you. Whatever you sense the Lord speaking to you, this is your time to do business with him. For some of you, you're going to cross the threshold of faith today. You're going to say, I have never trusted in Jesus, but I want to turn away from myself and my sin, and I want to trust in Christ, knowing that he lived a life I couldn't, he died a death I deserve, and he rose from the grave for me so that I could be forgiven and accepted, part of his family, and welcomed into his fold. So you can just do that in your seat. If you do that, I'd love to know about it. We can talk after the gathering. Some of you just need to spend some time praying. And when you're ready, uh, those cups are in the seats. If you're on the front row, there's a basket under uh, the seats as well for communion cups. They are hard to open, remember. Uh, there's a two layers on the top, so you'll pull the first film back, which releases the cracker, and then the second film, uh, which uh, opens the juice. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this isn't for you, okay? No one will shame you for not participating. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, if you belong to the Good Shepherd, this is a moment to remember that it was his body broken for you to make you whole, that it was his blood spilled for you to cleanse you from sin and to welcome you into his fold as his shepherd, as your shepherd. And so when you're ready, you can take communion uh, and then the band's gonna come up. They're gonna lead us in a couple songs as we sing and celebrate uh, our great savior today. Father, I thank you for the men and women in this room. Thank you for uh, their willingness to come and be part of a church gathering uh, on a Sunday morning. And I know that, um, Lord, there, there are so many reasons not to be here. And yet you have ordained that these people be in this room this morning. And I pray that something that has been said has served them and blessed them. Lord, would you have your way with us? Would you reveal our sin? Would you reveal our lack of trust in you? And would you remind us of your care and your love, would you pursue us with goodness and mercy and let the kindness of God lead us back to you in repentance. We love you. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord. And if there's any in this room who, who need to cross the threshold of faith, would you make that very clear to them this morning? Lord, as we sit and as we contemplate, as we pray, meet us here by your spirit. Would you be glorified in our time of response and singing and in worship? We ask your blessing over this in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.